seeds, tackle box in my hand Gonna cast a few lines with my toes in the sand Pulling in a big catch makes me feel like a man But the wife, she just don't understand I love walleye, perch, trout and bass And if you don't like fishing, you can kiss my four-stroke right in the back Cause the fishes all tremble at the thought of me When I'm fishing for bunion country Today we ask the aquatic biologist and we discover our Lake of the Week. Doug Schultz from the Walker Area Fisheries Office has the details on our Lake of the Week. But first, we ask the aquatic biologist, Dr. Andrew Haves, about algae. Ask the aquatic biologist. Once again, bringing in Dr. Andy Haves, our aquatic biologist. And the question today, Andy, this I think came from one of your students as well. Uh, what effects does the summer algae bloom have on different area fish species? So you're, I assume you're referring to the one in Bemidji. It's kind of a green-blue yes. film at the top of the, on calm days. You can really see it. Yes. Yeah, that's an interesting um, thing to think about. It, it's a blue-green algae, to the best of my knowledge, that kind of forms in the late summer. And algae, they go through kind of a, a sequence where things that are really easy for zooplankton to eat get consumed. And by the end of summer, when the zooplankton numbers have been rocking all summer long, right, what's left is the long filamentous blue-green algaes that are kind of tough and, and they can tolerate some harsher conditions. So I think that's really what's going on there late in the summer. And it, so if you think about how that cascades down through the ecosystem then, the zooplankton don't have the food anymore at that point because they can't eat the really tough filamentous stuff. Okay. Right? And so I think that's probably the largest effect uh, is that there's just a, a big change in food dynamics, especially the really small organisms like the zooplankton. So okay. there might be a die-off of those that follows that because of food limitation. Okay. And. So when I'm thinking about what fish species then would be impacted by that, cisco are a big, you know, they prey on zooplankton a lot, and maybe they have a tough time there after those zooplankton die off for a little bit. Okay. Uh, but, you know, in terms of a walleye or a perch, that's also the same time of the year where the temperatures are really warm, mm -hmm. right, and their bite slows too. So, uh, you know, on a calm day when there's a big layer of that algae on the top, that might change the light conditions, and that would be how it would affect bigger species, bigger game species that are very visual-based, but they're at the same time of the season where maybe their bite's shutting down too. So it's kind of tough to think about. I think, you know, like the yeah. big effects on the whole fish community. But It's it's a, it's a natural thing. It happens every year. Yeah, right. um, I do know that some anglers seem to like it because, especially in a clear lake, it does make it easier to not scare fish off. Right, right. So there's the light dynamics there that I was mentioning that, okay. um, you know, it might encourage a fish that is very visual based or, or does better at low light conditions, right, like mm -hmm. walleye to bite. It might encourage that, but it's also a tough time of year. Yeah. For, so. But there is nothing, I mean, outside of the zooplankton, as you mentioned, and maybe the food or the fish that consumes zooplankton, there's not a, a physical harm or anything to, to fish communities. It's just part of the year. Yeah, as far as I'm aware, it, at this point in the game in Lake Bemidji, right, that mm -hmm. bloom is not at a point where it's detriment. It's just a, you know, it's not causing oxygen problems or anything like that or, or the, the toxins that you hear about on Lake Erie, right? Uh, it's not doing any of that kind of stuff. It's mainly a, a normal kind of progression that occurs where the, the tolerant, less edible forms are remaining, 
And yeah, there's a lot of dynamics going on with the light, like the anglers have mm-hmm. picked up on. And I thought about too that even if you think about a little baby perch near the shore, uh, they might feel a little safer, right? Under sure. it, it might cause some cover in the shallows, and you know, so there's a lot of things that can happen with light dynamics in a system as well, and how that influences predator prey relationships. Okay, that are tough for us to kind of tease out. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. But there's probably a lot of that going on. We're asking the aquatic biologist about algae, and we'll have more with Dr. Andrew Hapes next. This is Fish and Paul Bunyan Country with your host, Kev Jackson. He's the one asking the stupid questions. You're listening to Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. Dr. Andrew Hapes, our guest, we are asking the aquatic biologist about algae today. Talk a little bit about what you're mentioning in Erie, apparently with, with toxins. What are we talking about there? What's going on? Uh, some blue-green algae, when they become in high enough densities, right, can release a toxin. It's a defense mechanism for them. It's just, a, And, you know, you've probably heard about some of those things where it caused water issues mm-hmm. near the Great Lakes, uh, you know, with, with wells and things like that. Uh, or it's just caused... It can cause die-offs of other organisms that go into it or making your dog sick or things like that. Like I said, we haven't had any kind of, we're not even remotely close to the issues that they've had right. in other parts of the country here. That's a, a very normal thing that's going on in Lake Bemidji, it, it seems, at this point. What causes it to get in such a concentration that it can be dangerous? What, what's Nutrient going loads. Okay, and how does that happen? Humans. Okay. It always comes back <laughs> right. to the humans. Uh, so, so what, are, I mean, like fertilizer or what? Oh, yeah, what, fertilizing stuff that's lawns going in, okay. would be in okay. our area. You know, farming and agriculture is not as prominent around here. So uh, the biggest sources of nutrients around here are probably lawn fertilizers and things like that. Okay. As far and, as I'm aware. And I know there's been a huge push over the last, I'd say, at least decade of making that uh, – that shoreline natural. And, yeah, hopefully and that not trend doing that continues. Right? Okay. I think, uh, yeah, the more forested land there is in a watershed of a lake, uh, the safer it's going to be. Essentially, okay. Uh, it buffers nutrient load impacts the systems for sure. So algae <clears throat> can be a natural part of the year, but it also can be, as so many things, impacted by the way we're behaving. Of course, it's. I mean, that is the base of the food chain. That's what the smallest organisms are eating. So we, you need it there. Yeah. It's just that when you add in phosphorus, in particular, into a water body and in a lake, those things really take advantage of it, okay. and then the ecosystem can become out of sync a little bit. Are we aware? Are you aware of any uh, waters in in Minnesota that are having? A little excess concern as far as algae goes. Down south, yeah. It is? It's for sure. Okay. I mean, there are, I've heard stories of, of lakes down south where you can drop a, a secchi disc, which is a, a measurement, a very crude measurement of how far you can see in the water, and that will disappear within 10 centimeters. Right? Wow. So, yeah, there's places that... Is that agricultural-based in the south that's causing uh, that? I'm not entirely sure. Probably, but I don't okay. know. <laughs> Put me on the hot seat here. <laughs> he doesn't want to speak out of turn. <laughs> okay. Well, we're talking algae with uh, Dr. – we always have the fascinating topics, right? Algae. For sure. Uh, Dr. Andrew Hafes, uh, aquatic biologist at Bemidji State University. And uh, you guys get going pretty soon, right? Oh, yeah. Another week here. I'm looking forward to seeing the students back. Okay. Get pontoon out on the lake. So. 
And then uh, in your uh, class for ichthyology class, uh, we'll we'll have a whole new slew of questions for next yeah, year. Yeah, looking forward to it. All right. So. Andy, thanks a lot. Yep, thank you. Up next, we check in with Doug Schultz from the Walker Area Fisheries Office about our Lake of the Week. This is Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. Lake of the Week Day, Lake of the Week Day, Lake of the Week Day, Holy Cow! It is Lake of the Week Day, and today's lake is Steamboat Lake. We're talking with Doug Schultz from the Walker Area Fisheries Office. Hey, Doug, uh, thanks for joining us again today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kevin. Well, we're going to take a look at Steamboat Lake today, and anybody who's ever driven down 371 uh, to, uh, from between Cass Lake and Walker has seen that one. It's just right off the road and uh, pretty easy to find. Yeah, it's, uh, as you said, right between Walker and Cass Lake, uh, about 12 miles north of Walker or 7 miles south of Cass. Uh, right off 371, it's uh, a little over 1,700 acres and uh, has a maximum depth of uh, 93 feet. And um, it's immediately upstream of Steamboat Bay on Leech Lake uh, via the Steamboat River. So the, where 371 crosses the Steamboat River there, that's the outlet for Steamboat Lake, and then it flows into Steamboat Lake from there. Okay. Now the interesting thing is you, you, you take a look at that lake map, and it's like Paul Bunyan just took a shovel and dug a hole. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it, it does have uh, does have some mid-lake structure with some humps and stuff. Um, not as, you know, Diverse, I suppose, is, is like Walker Bay, for example. But, uh, you know, very similar to Cabacona Lake, if, if folks are sim- uh, familiar with that one. You know, the water is generally pretty clear. Um, you know, it tends to be, a, you know, one of the later ones to ice up and one of the, the later ones to ice off. So it's, uh, but it's got a really good, you know, diverse fishery in it. Um, we last surveyed that lake in 2014, and it's actually scheduled again for this coming summer, 2018. Uh, it does have muskies present in the lake. Uh, you know, those are probably moving up the Steamboat River from Leech a little bit. Um, we tried to, to sample target muskies back in 2014, and uh, we didn't get any, but that also ended up being a really odd spring. Uh, you know, following ice out, it got real cold, and the water temps just stayed in the 40s the whole the whole time we were in. Then we had to pull out because we were had some other stuff we had to get done. But uh, you know, we do hear occasional reports of you know anglers seeing or, or catching a, a, an occasional fish out there. Um, the walleye population is very good; uh, ranges uh, generally from three to seven walleye per net, uh, despite pretty frequent fry and fingling stockings over the year. Um, it, it tends to run in about a 10-year cycle, actually, if you look at the long-term data set. Uh, so the you know through the mid to late 90s, uh, for whatever reason, conditions were really good and. and uh, you know, year classes were produced uh, pretty consistently with a couple strong ones, and um, you know, recently we've we've been coming through another one of those dips. But uh, the goal in the catch rate was 3.6 walleyes per net in 2014, so that's the lower end of the range. But we hadn't had a strong year class in a while. Um, we've seen strong year classes in other lakes uh, since then, so it's entirely possible we we stuck one in and and are probably on the upswing. And uh, you know, sizes in that survey range from uh, seven inches to thirty inches, so it, it is a lake that can produce some pretty big fish. Yeah, I noticed that uh, when I was taking a look at the uh, the walleye numbers um, that you you know your average weight was over two pounds. That's pretty good, solid average weight. Yeah, and and I did hear you know this past winter some reports of of it kicking out some fish as well. So you know, hopefully we got a good a, a stronger year class in there again. And like I said, it just it's one of those lakes that you know when it works, it works great, and uh, you know. 
uh, hopefully it's, it's we're back on the upswing. You know, as I'm, I'm looking at the fishing there, it's, it, it's this is a one-stop shop. As you noted, you've got crappie, you've got bluegill, you've got uh, largemouth, you've got northerns, you've got walleyes, and it uh, seems like solid numbers of all of them. Yeah, and it's also got a really nice perch. Uh, it's one of my favorite places to, to hit a couple times, uh, particularly uh, late in the year. Uh, you'll see perch up to about 12 inches wow. in the survey. And, uh, you know, gillnet catch rate is, is 28.5 in the last survey, and it's been as high as 94 perch per net in the past. So it's it's got a pretty robust perch population as well. Um, you know, you mentioned pike. That's uh, actually one of those ideal populations. It's in the 2 to 6 fish per net range. Uh over the, the history, uh, it was up to 10 fish per net in the last survey. Um, when we were in in 2014, do, you know, looking for muskies, we saw some really nice thick pike in that lake. And, and I know it's popular with some spears in the area as well, uh, because the water quality and the size quality tends to be pretty good. Um, you know, and we, you know, we'll see pike in the mid 30s pretty consistently with the gillnet uh, sampling that we do. It it does have cisco in the lake as well, which are obviously a, a pretty good prey for for growing bigger pike, as well as muskies. Um, you know, but because we're sampling in midsummer, uh, actually usually late, later August, uh, pretty infrequent when we get them. Um, a lot of times they're hanging by the thermocline and, and offshore, and our our nets aren't necessarily in the right spot for them. Eel powder are also present in that lake, burbot, and uh, you know we usually see one or two of those show up in each survey as well, and that's another one that, you know, locals know uh, Steamboat Lake can kick out some pretty good-sized bourbon as well. Well, that that seems to be a fish, the eel pout, that is uh, getting more and more popular every year. I hear more and more people fishing for that. Yeah, there's there's a lot more appreciation for them in the state uh, than there used to be. You know, and, and they're really good eating. Um, I'll, I'll never I'll never throw one back if it's, <laughs> if it's big enough. Uh, you know, I love eating them, so... Uh, you know, and, and and they just put up a heck of a good fight too. So, yeah, they're, they've really grown in popularity, and you know that's one of the lakes we have around here that uh, you stand a really good chance of, of catching some. There's no question, Doug, that uh, everything gets overshadowed in your neck of the woods by leech. But this is a lake that is not really a secret, and yet, uh, with I, I would assume a decent amount of traffic, still still creates out a lot of fish. Yeah, and it's you know it's probably in that twelve to fifteen. Uh, hours per acre range, which is you know moderate for around here, but uh, yeah, it, it, and it's got you know like you said, you pack the whole tackle box. Um, you know, it's got really good populations of crappie and sunfish uh, and bass, as you mentioned. Uh, those all three tend to be a little bit lower density in that lake compared to some others. A lot of this that is just you know it's big, deep. You know, the habitat is really limited to the shoreline, but uh, you know we'll see crappies up to 14 inches and you know potentially a little bit bigger. You know, sunfish uh, up to nine, and you know, bass up to eighteen uh, when we're out there sampling. So it's it's really got a a little bit of everything, and the quality is good for everything as well. And that lower density often is why you get better quality. It helps definitely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You, there is a, uh, such a thing as too much of a good thing. And, <laughs> you know, with with fish, you know, moderate moderate to lower abundance tends to mean you know better size quality overall. Well, we know basically where the lake is, but uh, how do we get on the lake? Uh, public access is on the west side, right off of 371. Uh, on the north side of that outlet we talked about earlier, where the Steamboat River is. So if you're coming from Walker, uh, north about 12 miles, you go across the bridge, and that next uh, left will take you right to the public access. Okay. Pretty well-developed lake, I would guess? 
Yeah, moderately developed. There are a couple larger parcels that you know either we own and, and manage as aquatic management areas, or uh, DNR Forestry owns on both the east and the west ends of the lake. But everything else in the middle is is fairly developed. And, and nothing uh, right now that uh, concerns you tremendously. No, water quality is excellent. Excellent in that one. Um, you know, again, uh, you know, the fish quality overall is very good, and it's it's just a real solid lake. Is it a uh, lake that has a specific time of the year that seems to work better than others? I'm not aware of one. You know, midsummer can get a little tough, uh, but that's pretty common for yeah. walleyes anywhere. Right. Um, you know, spring is always uh, best. First ice is always best. But, uh, you know, I know, I know guys going out there in January and, and catching walleyes yet, so it's, it's just a really good lake. Steamboat Lake is our Lake of the Week. Doug Schultz from the Walker Area Fisheries Office joining us. Doug, we appreciate your time as always. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kevin. Now we're going fishing. <laughs> Bye-bye, young country.